Well, hey, good morning. As you uh, make your way back, grab your Bibles. Let's remain standing for the reading of God's Word. So uh, today is an especially important day. If you don't mind, let's stand for uh, out of respect for God's Word, if you're able, if you wouldn't mind, and grab a print Bible. If you need a Bible, you can grab any of the blue Bibles all around the room. I'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's Word out in front of them, and honestly, you're going to need it this morning. Uh, we are uh, in the parables of Jesus We're in Matthew chapter 13. We're looking at verses 31 through 35. We're going to be bouncing around quite a bit. Uh, Friends, welcome to church. My name is Dustin. I get to be the pastor here. Uh, If you would, grab that Bible. We're looking at Matthew 13, verses 31 through 35. Uh, With that in mind, friend, hear the word of the Lord to us. This is Matthew 13. He, that is Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Be seated and let's pray. Father, we love you this morning and we pray that your Holy Spirit would give us insight into your holy word. Lord, we pray that uh, you would hide the kingdom of God in our hearts and that it would spread throughout our lives and change us from the inside out. And Lord, we praise you that uh, it is like a great mighty tree doing far more than we would ever imagine or think possible. Uh, Father, we thank you for what this upcoming week means for the life of our church. And Lord, we thank you for every STM and family going to Camp Levi. Lord, we pray that, that you would go before us on that trip. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so let's do a thought experiment. If I asked you to take that bulletin you were handed, you know, just like a little sheet of paper, we're going to do a thought experiment. If I asked you to grab like a piece of computer paper, you know, or the bulletin in front of you, and I gave you very simple, short, clear instructions, do you think we would all be able to do something individually, collectively together? All right, so I'll give you an example. If I told you to take your piece of paper and fold it corner to corner, and then fold it in half again, and then fold it one last time, corner to corner, do you think everybody in the room would fold their piece of paper the same way? It's a kind of a silly analogy, but I don't think any of us would probably fold the paper the same way. Uh, The reason I love the the parable of the the bad origami is what I call that parable, the parable of the bad origami, right? If we all were trying to fold pieces of paper end to end, it doesn't really matter if the instructions are short, clear, concise, and also fairly simple. If we don't understand the context and we don't have an idea of what I'm picturing in my head when I ask you to fold something, it'd be really hard to understand. And friends, I want to suggest to you that when you and I get into the parables, especially these two parables, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, those two things are like taking a piece of paper, folding it corner to corner, and then somehow like there's a giant tree that ends up being folded out of the piece of paper, according to Jesus. Uh, Just because these parables are short, 
just because it seems simplistic in a way doesn't mean it's always really easy to understand. And in fact, I, I, you know, I've been studying through the parables all summer long, and I can tell you right now, no other parable gets as different interpretations as these two parables. It's shocking how different people can take these two parables uh, and to say that this is what they mean. Uh, you know, uh, this is why you know, Thomas Long uh, famously said, new preachers dream of preaching on the parables and experienced preachers have nightmares about preaching the parables. You know, there's a sense that when you and I get to the parables of Jesus, they seem simple, they seem clear. Some of them are even short, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we quite grasp it. Uh, But I want to remind you, friends, that the name Yisrael, Israel, means he who wrestles with God. So there's a sense that this morning, one of the best things that you and I can do is wrestle with the Bible and try to understand what this means. You know, the Bible says that you and I are supposed to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So you need to use your brain and love him with your mind and try to understand what Jesus is saying about these parables. So all that to say, look down with me at Matthew 13, 31 through 33. Two short parables, just what, three verses in your Bible? Well, I'll give you uh, one of the interpretations, all right? So this is on the polar extreme. So one interpretation says that this is all negative, that the kingdom of God, this movement that Jesus is beginning, starts really small. It starts like a little mustard seed, and then it grows into a tree. But then what happens? Birds come, and they make their nest in the branches of the kingdom. And what do the birds represent? Bureaucracy. Sleazy pastors, health and wealth, prosperity preachers, charlatans, right? The organization, it gets weighed down. Who wants birds in their garden anyway? And then, of course, if you go to the next parable, leaven goes through and it works its way through all of a piece of dough. Now, for some of you, you may be astute studiers of the Bible. And, you know, when the Bible talks about leaven, does it usually use leaven as a positive analogy or actually as a negative analogy? Well, actually, in just a couple of chapters later, Jesus will say, uh, actually, the, it's a really great story because it's very insightful about what it means to be a disciple. And the apostles are in a boat with Jesus. This <laughs> is starting off like a joke, but it's not. All right, so Jesus and the apostles are in a boat. <laughs> And uh, they forgot to, this is like really like a joke now that I'm saying it out loud. They forget to bring bread, right? And so they're like, hey, we forgot to bring bread. And then Jesus does the most Jesus thing possible. And he goes, hey, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they go, what, what food is that? Is that what, what? And then Jesus says, do you still think I'm talking about food? I'm talking about the hypocritical teaching of the Pharisees. And they're like, oh, it's a metaphor. Okay, got it. It's, you know, just a couple chapters later. I think it's Matthew 17. So right there, Jesus will use leaven as hypocritical teaching, legalistic, pharisaical faith as it ruins something good. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 can say, make sure you remove the leaven so that you are unleavened bread. You are pure, you know, offerings to the Lord like the unleavened bread of Passover, so one interpretation of this is it's about the kingdom, you know, the church, God's movement, how, you know, all of those things wrapped up together and they get weighed down by bad things. And then another interpretation takes the leaven and it says leaven is always bad. And even though Jesus' movement starts off strong, it gets weighed down by false teaching and all that bad stuff, right? So that's one side of interpretation that you could take. Um, the other side 
takes a positive interpretation of these stories. That interpretation says that when Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a little mustard seed that gets planted in the ground and then it grows into this great giant, you know, miraculous mustard tree that provides shelter for the birds, it takes a decidedly positive perspective. That the kingdom of God, although it starts small with a guy named Jesus and just a handful of followers, it grows and it changes the entire world. And then it provides nesting areas for the birds. It provides rest and shelter for all the people groups on the earth. That's one interpretation. And then the leaven, you know, another, the positive interpretation would be leaven is actually the gospel itself, the kingdom of God that works its way into your heart and then it spreads through every area of your life. So you remain bread, yes, but you are actually what you are always meant to be. The, the bread has risen, so to speak. So which one is it? <laughs> is it a positive parable? Are these positive on the kingdom? Or are they negative? Are they pessimistic? Or are they optimistic? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that one of the things that uh, you and I can do as we get to, get to around each other to study the Word of God is we can learn how to read the Bible. We can learn how to do it. And that may seem really easy. You may think you know how to read, and I know you know how to read. But there's also a sense that you learn how to read and study the Bible. And one of the ways you can do that is you can study the surrounding passages around certain passages. You can see it like concentric circles. If you want to understand what a word in the Bible means, read the sentence. If you want to understand what the sentence means, read the what? The paragraph. If you want to understand what that paragraph means, read the section. And then you can also do something very helpful when it comes to the Gospels. And that is sometimes the Gospels will share the same story. And so Matthew will say something and Mark will say the same exact story or just slightly different. And Luke will also share the same thing. And so actually Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all talk about these parables. So the question is, one, if you're like, well, does Matthew mean these are good things? Is this a good interpretation or is this negative? Well, one way you could address that is you could go to Mark chapter 4, where Mark talks about this parable. And Mark tells this parable right after a parable of a seed that goes underneath the ground. And even though the farmer doesn't understand how it's growing, one day, all of a sudden, the harvest is here. I preached, uh, I think, my first sermon in the series on that parable of the seed growing. And so that would suggest that when, if the kingdom of God grows underneath the surface in ways that you don't always see, and then Jesus says it grows one day into this beautiful tree that birds come in, that that would be actually a reason to believe that this is to be taken positively. If you were to go to Luke chapter 13, when Luke tells the story, a woman with a disability had been going to synagogue and Jesus miraculously heals her of her disability. And then Luke says, therefore, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a tree that starts really small, but one day it provides nesting areas for all kinds of birds, which would also suggest that you should take this positively. And now if you were to look at Matthew, let's look at the surrounding passages of Matthew. Right before this parable, Jesus gives a, another parable right there in verses 24 through 30. Do you see that? In the subtitle, it's called the parable of the weeds. And the point there that Jesus even tells us the meaning of the parable in this chapter is about how the kingdom of God, Jesus' people, exist in a world of wickedness, and yet we persevere. Right? The, the field is the world, according to Jesus, and the people who are of the kingdom grow in the midst of weeds. And so that would suggest that this is a positive story. 
Because the church, God's people, the kingdom is growing in the midst of persecution and weeds, and yet one day it'll provide rest for all kinds of people. So all that to say, this is, a, uh, this is why it's so challenging sometimes to read the Bible, uh, but this is also why it's so helpful to read the Bible and use your brain as you think about it. So I want to suggest to you then that if you take a negative you know, understanding of these parables, I respect you and I love you and I get it. You know, understanding the parables is really hard. Um, you know, if you were to look at Matthew 13, my favorite verse in this whole chapter, uh, look at Matthew 13. Jesus gets done talking through all of these parables. He goes through like six or seven parables. And then I love this because Jesus asks in Matthew 13, verses 51, he looks at his disciples and goes, have you understood all these things? And you know what they say? They say, yes. And I'm like, the survey says that's a lie because no, you did not. I totally believe that's what they said, right? I think Matthew's telling us the truth, you know, but Jesus has just gotten done telling us the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the leaven, and then the parable of the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, and the parable of the net. Boom, 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 boom. And then he goes, do you understand? And the disciples are like, yes. <laughs> and then he tells them another parable. It's like, you know, so all that to say, you know, if, if you're struggling with this, uh, you know, take heart. Uh, this is part, I think, of faith, right? This is the enjoyable part of faith is wrestling with God and wrestling with his word and trying to understand what he has to say. So I'm going to take the positive perspective on these parables. The reason I take a positive perspective is I think that's the broader context of Matthew. And also, I think Luke and Mark both also use this parable, not in a negative sense about the bureaucracy of the kingdom, but actually about the beautiful, transforming, world-changing aspect of the kingdom of God. But it really all just hinges on what does the passage itself say. So look at verse 31. So Jesus put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, you know, it's larger than all the garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So if you look at verse 31, why does Jesus call this the kingdom of heaven? Other times in Mark and Luke and John, he'll call something the kingdom of God. But why does Matthew say the kingdom of heaven? Are those two different things? It's actually all the same thing. What we're just seeing here in Matthew is Matthew is being culturally sensitive to the people group that he's primarily writing to. If you were to study the Bible, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. That's why Matthew does a bunch of things that you probably don't care about, like giving us the genealogy of Jesus. You know, no Gentile staying up late at night worried about the genealogy of the Messiah. That's an example to us that Matthew is speaking to a Jewish audience. And here, if you were living in in, uh, Israel during this time and you didn't want to break the third commandment, if you don't want to take the Lord's name in vain, what's one way you could do that? Just never say his name. Just never say God. Just never, and you know you could just say heaven, you know. So uh, people today still do this. You know, if I were to say, oh God forbid, you know, some of you that like, you may have committed the third, you may have broken the third commandment. You know what you should say instead of God forbid? Why don't you say heaven forbid? It's a little softer. So that's all that Matthew's doing. He's just being culturally sensitive, and he says when we say the kingdom of heaven, everybody knows it's God's kingdom. So what is God's kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? Or as Matthew sometimes calls it, the kingdom of heaven. Well, the kingdom of God is Jesus' favorite topic. It is the number one preaching point that Jesus talks about. And it is Jesus' reign over Jesus' people on earth. 
It's not fully here, but it is here among us. And one day the kingdom will fully come and all of the kingdoms of man will fall and the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God. That's how Revelation describes it. So the kingdom is here. It is moving in the hearts of men and women. And it is also expanding throughout this entire globe. And what's happening is is people are being called into the kingdom to be citizens, not just of this world, but of the eternal world whose builder and designer is God. This is Jesus' message, and it is for all people. It is for you, friend. You are called to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And it's an amazing community of people because it's not built on your ethnic identity, and it's not built on your socioeconomic identity, and it's not based on your gender. It is built around the king to end all kings, Jesus Christ, God himself. So this is Jesus' main teaching And he's trying to describe to you ways so that you can understand it. Say, that still doesn't explain what it is. Well, that's what the parables are for, to explain to you and me what this kingdom is like that's here but not yet fully here. So what is the parable of the mustard seed about? If that's what it's about, the movement of Jesus, right? The kingdom of God. Jesus says that it starts off very small. It's the smallest seed. Now, is the mustard seed literally the smallest seed? No, you're focusing on the wrong part of the parable. That's what they would have understood as the smallest seed that you would have planted in a garden. So Jesus says, you know, it's like a little tiny seed. And then the seed grows into this huge mustard tree. And a mustard tree could grow to be about 12 feet tall. And remember, this would be used like in gardens. So, you know, if you had, you know, like your blueberry bush and then you had a 12-foot mustard tree, you could see why that would be taller than all of the other garden plants. But the whole point is Jesus is saying this kingdom of God, this movement starts small And then it grows to be this beautiful, almost miraculous tree that the birds of the air come and make their nests in. And if you were to look at verse 32, look at where it says, it says, so that the tree grows for a reason, so that the birds will come and make nests. So if you were to say that the birds are the bad guys, that's pretty strange that the kingdom grows for the sake of the bad guys, right? The kingdom is not growing for the sake of the bad guys. The kingdom is growing for the sake of the birds of the air. So what in the world is that about? Why are you telling me to fold the piece of paper corner to corner? That still doesn't explain it. What do the birds represent? Well, the birds represent, um, and I want to make this suggestion, um, hopefully you can hang with me, is that when Jesus is telling this parable, he's talking to people who would have known their Old Testament really well. And if you were to go way back in the Old Testament, you may remember a guy named Daniel. And Daniel was uh, kidnapped and taken by whom? Anybody know? What country took Daniel away? Anybody remember? Yeah, Babylon. Boo, Babylon, the bad guys, right? And what's interesting is if you read that story, Daniel can interpret dreams. Uh, You know, that's in the Bible. So, you know, some of you are Presbyterian and don't worry about dreams too much, but that's in Daniel. So he's a dream interpreter and a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, who is sort of a bad guy, right? He's the king of Babylon. He has a dream. And in Daniel chapter four, he has a dream. And guess what he dreams about? He dreams about a great tree. And he says, in this dream, this tree grows and it's really big. It's bigger than all the other trees. And the birds of the air make their nests in its branches. But then guess what? One of the watchers one of these super angels in the Bible, I don't know what to call them, the watchers, one of these angelic beings in the supernatural realm makes a decree to cut the tree down. So they cut the tree down. And then they take the stump of the tree and they bind it in a little thing of gold and they put a chain on it. 
And that's the dream. <laughs> and so Nebuchadnezzar doesn't understand the dream. And so Daniel comes in and he says, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, the dream is about what? You. You tried to make the kingdom of man. You built the kingdom of Babylon so big and it was bigger than all the other nations. But every kingdom of man is destined to fall. And so God decreed that he was going to cut you down. And he did. If you look down in Matthew 13, it's also interesting to me that Matthew tells us in verse 35 that Jesus is telling these parables to fulfill what the prophet said. And then he quotes from Psalm 78. And if you were to read Psalm 78, you don't have to do it right now, but if you were to read it, it's fascinating because Psalm 78, the guy starts off, he says, I'm going to tell you a parable. I'm going to utter things from the foundation of the world. And then you know what he tells you the story of? The failures of the kingdom of Israel. One after the other. Failure, failure, failure. And then you know where Psalm 78 ends? He goes, but man, was it great when we had David on the throne. And that's Psalm 78. So, friends, what I'm getting at, if you were to understand this story, if you were to understand this parable, you've got to see that for Jewish people, for the audience in Israel, when Jesus was talking, they would have understood that kingdoms come and kingdoms fall. People like Nebuchadnezzar, they try to build their kingdom, but one day it's all going to fall. Even the great kingdom of Israel, the whole focus of the Old Testament, even they failed to really bring the kingdom of God about. But the great news, if you keep reading the Bible, is there's another prophet named Ezekiel. And not many people read Ezekiel. It's kind of a strange book. But in Ezekiel chapter 17, Ezekiel says that one day, it's Ezekiel 17 verse 23, he says, one day God will plant a tree on his holy hill, Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And that tree will be like a great cedar tree and all of the other trees will clap their hands and praise this mighty tree. And guess what? All of the birds of the air will make their nest in its branches. You see, the failure of all the Babylons, all of the kingdoms of man, even the failure in the Old Testament of the kingdom of Israel, this is all why Jesus has to start the kingdom of God in his ministry. He has come to do what we have always failed to do, to reconcile a broken world with a holy God. And Jesus says that the, the tree exists so that the birds, the people groups of the nations can come in and know the one true God. So I think what this parable is ultimately about, friend, is that the movement of Jesus is multinational. It is global and it is for all people. It is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 17. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't build the kingdom of man because it was always meant to be God's kingdom. And friends, what I want you to see is there's actually proof that Jesus was right about this. Uh, that Christianity, if you can hang with me for a second, Christianity is the only truly global faith. If we were to ask you what are the global faiths, you could probably list out some major religions. But friends, what I would suggest to you is that the movement of Jesus is the only truly global faith. Uh, consider this for just a second. Uh, the Pew Research Center points out that 90% of Muslims... 90% of Muslims live in one stretch of land that goes from Southeast Asia to the Middle East to Northern Africa. Nine out of 10 Muslims live in one little, one stretch of the earth. 88% of Buddhists live where? In East Asia. 
95% of Hindus live where? In and around India. Now, if you were to look at Christianity, how do those percentages break out? What percentage of Christians reside in our country, you think? Well, consider this. 25% of all global people who claim to be Christians, 25% reside in Europe. 25% reside in Central and South America. 22% reside in Africa. 15% reside in Asia, and that number is rapidly increasing as Europe decreases. But only 12% of all Christians reside in North America. You see, friends, if you were to ask for the average Christian in the world, you would probably imagine someone in America. But friends, you'd actually be statistically and categorically wrong. If you want to find the standard Christian, it would probably be a mother in Africa. That would be the standard Christian. We're only 12% of the kingdom of God. You see, friends, Jesus says that his kingdom is going to be for the birds, <laughs> for the nations for all people group. So this is why we get so excited about things like Alpha. And if you don't know what Alpha is, if you don't know where you stand with Jesus, I am personally inviting you to join us on Sunday nights this fall to explore the Christian faith. And Christian, if you already know Jesus, consider bringing somebody who's not a Christian to Alpha so they can find nest in the branches. So let me go on to the leaven. So if that's what the kingdom of uh, heaven is like, it's like this mustard seed. It's this global movement, right? What is the point of the parable of the leaven? Why does Jesus bother telling us a second parable? Well, uh, I, as I already mentioned, uh, we have to acknowledge that leaven is evil <laughs> a lot of times in the Bible. Uh, this is why parables are hard. Uh, this is why, if you don't agree with me, I respect you still. Uh, and this is also why I sort of roll my eyes when the disciples all say they understand all these things. I just, I don't know. That's just so funny to me, you know? Like, they don't even qualify that. Do you understand all these parables I just told you? Yes. It's like, man, if, I don't know. Maybe y'all understand these parables. I don't, y'all. These are really hard. These are, you know, I'm having to wrestle with these. But what is the point of the, the leaven, well, you know, if it, if it bothers you that Jesus would maybe use leaven in this way, because I'm suggesting to you that in the only instance in the Bible, this is the only parable, only story where leaven is a good thing. So that would be like, hmm, I don't know if you're right, Dustin. I don't really know about that. If the Bible always says leaven is bad and Jesus says beware of the leaven and Paul says beware of the leaven, why are you so sure the leaven is a good thing? Well, this is my best answer. In Matthew 24, 43, Jesus says that he's going to come back one day, right? And Jesus is telling a parable. He says, one day I'm going to return and make all things new. The kingdom will fully be here. And then he says, his analogy is he says, because the thief comes only when the master's not expecting. Therefore, no one knows when I'm going to return. <laughs> so in that story, Jesus is saying that he is like a thief coming in the middle of the night when Satan is not expecting him so that he can bind Satan and steal back everything that's his, right? So is, is Jesus endorsing thievery? Is Jesus endorsing robbing people? You know, if you were like, if Jesus says, when I come back, it's going to be like a thief in the middle of the night breaking into a house. You wouldn't be like, well, Jesus, mm, don't use that analogy. That's wrong. You know, that's not right. It's like, well, you're focusing on the wrong part of the analogy. You're focusing on the wrong part of the parable, okay? <laughs> like, it's a parable. What's the point? The point is it's a surprising return. 
Well, here, I think the point of the leaven, I think if you can hang with me for just a second, this is why I think Jesus uses leaven. If the, if the parable of the mustard seed is about this small movement of Jesus that becomes this great global movement for all people groups, if it's about the external growth of the kingdom, then I think the parable of the leaven is about the internal heart change that happens in people when they accept Christ and they follow him. So the mustard seed's all about the external growth, the things we can see, the people groups coming to faith in Jesus. The leaven, the point of that story is leaven, once it gets into a big thing of dough, it goes through every square inch of that dough. You know, when you make leavened bread, there's not a part where you can just take a bite out and it's not leavened. The whole thing is leavened and the gospel works its way into your life. The grace of God moves through your life so that for the rest of your life, more and more, you desire the kingdom and you love God and you become who you were always meant to be, right? You rise, so to speak, like leavened bread rises in the oven, And friends, this is so key to understanding the message of Jesus. Because when you come to faith in Christ, uh, you don't cease to be you. You become the you you were always meant to be from the beginning, right? The leaven works its way to every inch of the bread, but you actually rise and you become more delicious than anything. You know, do you even like unleavened bread, y'all? No. You know how I know that? Because it's communion Sunday and everybody's going to complain to me about how bad the communion bread is. And you know what I say? That's the point. That's the point. You're missing the point. It was supposed to be made quickly. They didn't have time on Passover to make the bread rise and make it taste good, y'all. Missing the point. So what I want to suggest to you is that when you come to faith, you become who you were meant to be. Somehow, this is a cool thing. You become, you become the real you. You become the you you were always meant to be. The you in Christ. You become a new creation. And yet you remain you. Um, this is, you know, I mean, this is, I don't know if this makes sense to you, but, um, you know, uh, Laman Sana is an African who wrote a book called Whose Religion is Christianity? You know, who gets to claim Christianity? Which, you know, what, who, who gets to claim it? And it's so interesting because he talks about how um, if he were to come to America, secular modern people would say that they respect his culture as an African and they respect his voice. And yet a core fundamental belief for Africans is a fundamental belief that our world is full of good and bad spirits and that your key problem is to save yourself from the bad spirits. And so the secular, you know, if you were at OSU or something and you're talking to your person, oh, it's important to listen to African voices. Well, as soon as they start espouting a core belief in Africa, the world is inhabited by good and evil spirits, the professor would actually downplay their voice and say, well, we all know that's nonsense and, you know, science can explain everything and there's not a world of good and bad things. And yet, uh, Laman Sana points out that actually... Christianity offers one of the most coherent answers to that question because it affirms that, yes, you and I live in a supernatural world where there are unseen things in an unseen realm. But the amazing thing about Christianity is although it affirms that you and I live in the midst of a supernatural world, it provides an an invincible savior 
who entered the supernatural world and he didn't just preach about the kingdom, he cast out demons. And when he died on the cross for the sake of our sins, the Gospels, Paul, all throughout the New Testament, it all reminds us that he defeated and triumphed over the rulers and the principalities of the supernatural world. So in Christ, the African perspective is both affirmed and yet corrected, but not by another culture, but by God himself. Uh, Laman Sinat says it this way. Why, why does the kingdom of God expand in Africa? He says this, people sensed in their hearts that Jesus did not mock their respect for the sacred as secularism does. So they beat their sacred drums for him. Christianity helped Africans to become renewed Africans, not remade Europeans. What's Laman's point? His point is that when the kingdom of God, this little piece of leaven, works its way into your heart, you don't lose your identity. You become who you were always meant to be. Uh, friends, that's what these parables is all about. It's about the exciting realization that the kingdom of God starts small and it grows into something beautiful and people find rest. And what a great reminder as we just commissioned our Camp Levi volunteers. So to the STMs and families, thank you so much. Uh, this is starting really small, but I get excited about all of the birds that are going to come hang out and find rest. That's exactly what the kingdom of God does. But friends, if you don't know Christ, and if you haven't become who you're always meant to be, uh, friends, I'd invite you as we take the next few moments to prepare for communion to just pray and ask Jesus and say, if you are real, would you reveal yourself to me? Uh, take this time, read his word. Uh, friends, that's an invitation. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for these parables of the mustard seed and leaven. And Lord, I pray that you would hide the leaven of the gospel into each of our hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray for the men in our room. Father, all the guys. And Father, I pray that they would uh, receive the implanted word that can save their souls. And Lord, I pray that it would transform them from the inside out and that their kids and their wives and their families would see the difference. And Lord, I pray for the women in this room. Uh, Lord, that they would be encouraged and uplifted by uh, the ways that the kingdom of God is expanding. Uh, Lord, that they would look out uh, not just in their own life, but in this world that they live in, and they would see your growth. And Lord, that they would be encouraged that nothing can stop the growth of your kingdom. And Father, as we prepare to take communion, even now, Lord, would you be working in us a renewed love for your word and for your kingdom. Amen.